Chapter Two, Part One of Hilda Wade. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Hilda Wade, a woman with tenacity of purpose, by Grant Allen. Chapter Two, Part One. THE EPISODE OF THE GENTLEMAN WHO HAD FAILED FOR EVERYTHING One day, about those times, I went round to call on my aunt, Lady Tepping, and, lest you accuse me of the vulgar desire to flaunt my fine relations in your face, I hasten to add that my poor dear old aunt is a very ordinary specimen of the common army widow. Her husband, Sir Malcolm, a crusty old gentleman of the ancient school, was knighted in Burma or thereabouts for a successful raid upon naked natives on something that is called the Shan frontier. When he had grown grey in the service of his queen and country, besides earning himself, incidentally, a very decent pension, he acquired gout and went to his long rest in Kensal Green Cemetery. He left his wife with one daughter, and the only pretense to a title in our otherwise blameless family. My cousin Daphne is a very pretty girl, with those quiet, sedate manners which often develop later in life into genuine self-respect and real depth of character. Fools do not admire her. They accuse her of being heavy, but she can do without fools she has a fine strongly built figure an upright carriage a large and broad forehead a firm chin and features which though well marked and well moulded are yet delicate in outline and sensitive in expression very young men seldom take to daphne she lacks the desired inanity but she has mind repose and womanly tenderness Indeed, if she had not been my cousin, I almost think I might once have been tempted to fall in love with her. When I reached Gloucester Terrace on this particular afternoon, I found Hilda Wade there before me. She had lunched at my aunt's, in fact. It was her day out at St. Nathaniel's, and she had come round to spend it with Daphne Tepping. I had introduced her to the house some time before and she and my cousin had struck up a close acquaintance immediately. Their temperaments were sympathetic. Daphne admired Hilda's depth and reserve, while Hilda admired Daphne's grave grace and self-control, her perfect freedom from current affections. She neither jiggled nor aped ipsonism. A third person stood back in the room when I entered, a tall and somewhat jerry-built young man with a rather long and solemn face, like an early stage in the evolution of a donkey shot. I took a good look at him. There was something about his air that impressed me as both lugubrious and humorous, and in this I was right, for I learned later that he was one of those rare people who can sing a comic song with immense success while preserving a sour countenance like a Puritan preacher's. His eyes were a little sunken, his fingers long and nervous, but I fancied he looked a good fellow at heart for all that, though foolishly impulsive. He was a punctilious gentleman, I felt sure, 
his face and manner grew upon one rapidly daphne rose as i entered and waved the stranger forward with an imperious little wave i imagined indeed that i detected in the gesture a faint touch of half unconscious proprietorship good morning hubert she said taking my hand but turning towards the tall young man i don't think you know mr cecil holsworthy i've heard you speak of him i answered drinking him in with my glance i added internally not half good enough for you hilda's eyes met mine and read my thought they flashed back word in the language of eyes i do not agree with you daphne meanwhile was watching me closely i could see she was anxious to discover what impression her friend mr holsworthy was making on me till then i had no idea she was fond of any one in particular but the way her glance wandered from him to me and from me to hilda showed clearly that she thought much of this gawky visitor we sat and talked together we four for some time i found the young man with the lugubrious countenance improved immensely on closer acquaintance his talk was clever he turned out to be the son of a politician high in office in the canadian government and he had been educated at oxford the father i gathered was rich but he himself was making an income of nothing a year just then as a briefless barrister and he was hesitating whether to accept a post of secretary that had been offered him in the colony or to continue his negative career at the inner temple for the honour and glory of it now which would you advise me miss tepping he inquired after we had discussed the matter some minutes daphne's face flushed up it's so hard to decide she answered to decide to your best advantage i mean of course for naturally all your english friends would wish to keep you as long as possible in england no do you think so the gawky young man jerked out with evident pleasure now that's awfully kind of you do you know if you tell me i ought to stay in england i've half a mind i'll cable over this very day and refuse the appointment daphne flushed once more oh please don't she exclaimed looking frightened i shall be quite distressed if a stray word of mine should debar you from accepting a good offer of a secretaryship why your least wish the young man began then checked himself hastily must be always important he went on in a different voice to every one of your acquaintance daphne rose hurriedly look here hilda she said a little tremulously biting her lip i have to go out into westbourne grove to get those gloves for to-night and a spray for my hair will you excuse me for half an hour holsworthy rose too mayn't i go with you he asked eagerly oh if you like how very kind of you daphne answered her cheek a blush rose hubert will you come too and you hilda it was one of those invitations which are given to be refused i did not need hilda's warning glance to tell me that my company would be quite superfluous i felt those two were best left together 
it's no use though dr cumberledge hilda put in as soon as they were gone he won't propose though he has had every encouragement i don't know what's the matter but i've been watching them both for weeks and somehow things seem never to get any forwarder you think he's in love with her i asked in love with her well you have eyes in your head i know where could they have been looking he's madly in love a very good kind of love too he genuinely admires and respects and appreciates all daphne's sweet and charming qualities then what do you suppose is the matter i have an inkling of the truth i imagine mr cecil must have let himself in for a prior attachment if so why does he hang about daphne because he can't help himself he's a good fellow and a chivalrous fellow he admires your cousin but he must have got himself into some foolish entanglement elsewhere which he is too honourable to break off while at the same time he is far too much impressed by daphne's fine qualities to be able to keep away from her it's the ordinary case of love versus duty is he well off could he afford to marry daphne oh his father's very rich he has plenty of money a canadian millionaire they say that makes it all the likelier that some undesirable young woman somewhere may have managed to get hold of him just the sort of romantic impressionable hobbledehoy such women angle for i drummed my fingers on the table presently hilda spoke again why don't you try to get to know him and find out precisely what's the matter i know what's the matter now you've told me i answered it's as clear as day daphne's very much smitten with him too i'm sorry for daphne well i'll take your advice i'll try to have some talk with him do please i feel sure i have hit upon it he has got himself engaged in a hurry to some girl he doesn't really care about and he's far too much of a gentleman to break it off though he's in love quite another way with daphne just at that moment the door opened and my aunt entered why where's daphne she cried looking about her and arranging her black lace shawl she's just run out into westbourne grove to get some gloves and a flower for the feet this evening hilda answered then she added significantly mr holsworthy has gone with her what that boy's been here again yes lady tepping he called to see daphne my aunt turned to me with an aggrieved tone it's a peculiarity of my aunt's i have met it elsewhere that if she is angry with jones and jones is not present she assumes a tone of injured asperity on his account towards brown or smith or any other innocent person whom she happens to be addressing now this is really too bad hubert she burst out as if i were the culprit disgraceful abominable i'm sure i can't make out what the young fellow means by it he comes dangling after daphne every day and all day long and never once says whether he means anything by it or not in my young days such conduct as that would not have been considered respectable i nodded and beamed beningly 
well why don't you answer me my aunt went on warming up do you mean to tell me you think his behavior respectful to a nice girl in daphne's position my dear aunt i answered you confound the persons i'm not mr holsworthy i decline responsibility for him i meet him here in your house for the first time this morning then that shows how often you come to see your relations hubert my aunt burst out obliquely the man's been here to my certain knowledge every day this six weeks really aunt fanny i said you must recollect that a professional man oh yes that's the way lay it all down to your profession do hubert though i know you were at the thorntons on saturday saw it in the papers the morning post among the guests were sir edward and lady burns professor sebastian dr hubert cumberledge and so forth and so forth you think you can conceal these things but you can't i get to know them conceal them my dearest aunt why i danced twice with daphne daphne yes daphne they all run after daphne my aunt exclaimed altering the venue once more but there's no respect for age left i expect to be neglected however that's neither here nor there the point is this you're the one man now living in the family you ought to behave like a brother to daphne why don't you board this holsworthy person and ask him his intentions goodness gracious i cried most excellent of aunts that epoch has gone past the late lamented queen anne is now dead it's no use asking the young man of to-day to explain his intentions he will refer you to the works of the scandinavian dramatists my aunt was speechless she could only gurgle out the words well i can safely say that of all the monstrous behavior then language failed her and she relapsed into silence however when daphne and young holsworthy returned i had as much talk with him as i could and when he left the house i left also which way are you walking i asked as we turned out into the street towards my rooms in the temple oh i'm going back to st nathaniel's i continued if you'll allow me i'll walk part way with you how very kind of you we strode side by side a little distance in silence then a thought seemed to strike the lugubrious young man what a charming girl your cousin is he exclaimed abruptly you seem to think so i answered smiling he flushed a little the lantern jaw grew longer i admire her of course he answered who doesn't she is so extraordinarily handsome well not exactly handsome i replied with more critical and kinsmanlike deliberation pretty if you will and decidedly pleasing and attractive in manner he looked me up and down, as if he found me a person singularly deficient in taste and appreciation. "'Ah, but then you are her cousin,' he said at last, with a compassionate tone. "'That makes a difference.' "'I quite see all Daphne's strong points,' I answered, still smiling, for I could perceive he was very far gone. "'She is good-looking, and she is clever.' "'Clever!' he echoed profound 
she has a most unusual intellect she stands alone like her mother's silk dresses i murmured half under my breath he took no notice of my flippant remark but went on with his rhapsody such depth such penetration and then how sympathetic why even to mere casual acquaintance like myself she is so kind so discerning are you such a casual acquaintance i inquired with a smile it might have shocked aunt fanny to hear me but that is the way we ask a young man his intentions nowadays he stopped short and hesitated oh uh, quite uh, casual he replied almost stammering most casual i assure you i have never ventured to do myself the honor of supposing that uh, that uh, miss tepping could possibly care for me there is such a thing as being too modest and unassuming i answered it sometimes leads to unintentional cruelty no do you think so he cried his face falling all at once i should blame myself bitterly if that were so dr cumberledge you are her cousin do you gather that i have acted in such a way as to to lead miss tepping to suppose i felt any affection for her i laughed in his face my dear boy i answered laying one hand on his shoulder may i say the plain truth a blind bat could see you are madly in love with her his mouth twitched that's very serious he answered gravely very serious it is i responded with my best paternal manner gazing blankly in front of me he stopped short again look here he said facing me are you busy no then come back with me to my rooms and i'll make a clean breast of it by all means i assented when one is young and foolish i have often noticed as a medical man that a drachm or clean breast is a magnificent prescription he walked back by my side talking all the way of daphne's many adorable qualities he exhausted the dictionary for laudatory adjectives by the time i reached his door it was not his fault if i had not learned that the angelic hierarchy were not in the running with my pretty cousin for graces and virtues i felt that faith hope and charity ought to resign at once in favour of miss daphne tepping promoted he took me into his comfortably furnished rooms the luxurious rooms of a rich young bachelor with taste as well as money and offered me a partaga now i have long observed in the course of my practice that a choice of cigar assists a man in taking a philosophic outlook on the question under discussion so i accepted the partaga he sat down opposite me and pointed to a photograph in the centre of his mantelpiece i am engaged to that lady he put in shortly so i anticipated i answered lightening up he started and looked surprised why what made you guess it he inquired i smiled the calm smile of superior age i was some eight years or so his senior my dear fellow i murmured what else could prevent you from proposing to daphne when you are so undeniably in love with her a great deal he answered for example the sense of my own utter unworthiness one's own unworthiness i replied 
though doubtless real tuff tuff is a barrier that most of us can readily get over when our admiration for a particular lady waxes strong enough so this is the prior attachment i took the portrait down and scanned it unfortunately yes what do you think of her i scrutinized the features seems a nice enough little thing i answered it was an innocent face i admit very frank and girlish he leaned forward eagerly that's just it a nice enough little thing nothing in the world to be said against her while daphne miss tepping i mean his silence was ecstatic i examined the photograph still more closely it displayed a lady of twenty or thereabouts with a weak face small vacant features a feeble chin a good-humoured simple mouth and a wealth of golden hair that seemed to strike a keynote in the theatrical profession i inquired at last looking up he hesitated well not exactly he answered i pursed my lips and blew a ring music hall stage i went on dubiously he nodded but a girl is not necessarily any the less a lady because she sings at a music hall he added with warmth displaying an evident desire to be just to his betrothed however much he admired daphne certainly not i admitted a lady is a lady no occupation can in itself unladify her but on the music hall stage the odds one must admit are on the whole against her now there you show prejudice one may be quite unprejudiced i answered and yet allow that connection with the music hall does not as such afford clear proof that a girl is a compound of all the virtues i think she is a good girl he retorted slowly then why do you want to throw her over i inquired i don't that's just it on the contrary i mean to keep my word and marry her in order to keep your word i suggested he nodded precisely it is a point of honor that's a poor ground for marriage i went on mind i don't want for a moment to influence you as stuffness cousin i want to get at the truth of the situation i don't even know what daphne thinks of you but you promised me a clean breast be a man and bear it he bared it instantly i thought i was in love with this girl you see he went on till i saw miss tepping that makes a difference i admitted and i couldn't bear to break her heart heaven forbid i cried it is the one unpardonable sin better anything than that then i grew practical father's consent my father's is it likely he expects me to marry into some distinguished english family i hummed a moment well out with it i exclaimed pointing my cigar at him he leaned back in his chair and told me the whole story a pretty girl golden hair introduced to her by a friend nice simple little thing mind and heart above the regular stage on to which she had been driven by poverty alone father dead mother in reduced circumstances to keep the home together poor sissy decided precisely so i murmured knocking off my ash the usual self-sacrifice case quite normal everything en regle you don't mean to say you doubt it 
he cried, flushing up, and evidently regarding me as a hopeless cynic. I do assure you, Dr. Cumberledge, the poor child, though miles, of course, below Miss Tepping's level, is as innocent and as good. As a flower in May, oh, yes, I don't doubt it. How did you come to propose to her, though? He reddened a little. Well, it was almost accidental, he said sheepishly. I called there one evening, and her mother had a headache and went up to bed. And when we two were left alone, Sissy talked a great deal about her future and how hard her life was. And after a while she broke down and began to cry, and then— I cut him short with a wave of my hand. You need say no more, I put in with a sympathetic face. We have all been there. We paused a moment while I puffed smoke at the photograph again. Well, I said at last, her face looks to me really simple and nice. It is a good face. Do you see her often? Oh, no, she's on tour. In the provinces? Yes, just at present at Scarborough. But she writes to you? Every day. Would you think it an unpardonable impertinence if I made bold to ask whether it would be possible for you to show me a specimen of her letters? He unlocked a drawer and took out three or four. Then he read one through carefully. I don't think, he said in a deliberative voice, it would be a serious breach of confidence in me to let you look through this one. There's really nothing in it, you know just the ordinary average everyday love letter i glanced through the little note he was right the conventional hearts and darts epistle it sounded nice enough longing to see you again so lonely in this place your dear sweet letter looking forward to the time your ever devoted sissy hmm, that seems straight i answered however i'm not quite sure will you allow me to take it away with the photograph I know I'm asking much. I want to show it to a lady in whose tact and discrimination I have the greatest confidence. What, Daphne? I smiled. No, not Daphne, I answered. Our friend Miss Wade. She has extraordinary insight. I could trust anything to Miss Wade. She is true as steel. You're right. I answered. That shows that you too are a judge of character. He hesitated. I feel a brute, he cried, to go on writing every day to Sissy Montague, and yet calling every day to see Miss Tepping, but still I do it. I grasped his hand. My dear fellow, I said, nearly ninety per cent of men, after all, are human. End of chapter 2, part 1. Read by Lars Rolander.